Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh, yeah. A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hey everybody, Macy Connor. Thank you for tuning in to another fantastical episode of the FinTech Friday podcast. Hopefully you're having a phenomenal Friday. So today is probably a oddly bucket list episode, meaning that I have three guests at the same time. Your boy's doing it. I'm, I'm proud of myself, proud of my guests. Without any further ado, I'm just going to let everybody <laughs> kind of just introduce themselves and give us a little bit of what you guys do. Sounds good. Um, I'll go first. Uh, Farshad Abassi, I'm the uh, founder and chief security officer at Forward Security. I've been in the IT industry, you could say, for about over 25 years. Half of that time has been spent in the world of software development and, and building systems. And uh, the other half has been in securing those systems. And uh, that's, that's, it. that's about it for me. There's lots more to say, but we'll get to that later. I am Daniel Lee. I am a managing director at CIBC, where I advise technology companies, mostly software companies, on things like mergers and acquisitions, stage capital raises, and recapitalizations. Yeah, awesome. Yes. Uh, Michael Castro, founder and CEO of RiskAware, which is a cybersecurity firm, 23 years in cybersecurity, most of those in the enterprise space, and loving every minute of my cybersecurity life. Give us a little rundown of how did you get started initially in security and what, you know, what pulls you to security? Why is it so interesting to you guys? Should I go first again? Any anybody? It's, it's a free frog. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let any, anybody want anybody I want to can grab it. You're just not gonna click on us. All right, all right. No, no, just go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. For me, uh, it was sort of a natural thing that happened. You know, as I was working and building systems and software, uh, the systems and uh, software that I built were hacked. Uh, you know, one of my first experiences was as a, as a fairly new software developer back in the late '90s. I was responsible for building an e-commerce platform for a fairly large e-commerce retailer in Western Canada. And, you know, it was all my code and my team's code and we got hacked and, you know, tens of thousands of credit cards were exposed and it was just not a good situation. So that was an eye opener uh, for me to, to learn more about security as a developer. And then as my career progressed through other uh, companies that I worked at, um, you know, Intel, Motorola and, and other large organizations, uh, for some reason, it said, you know, security on my forehead. So as a developer, they kept assigning me to development projects that had a security angle. So I found myself that, you know, over my, my development career that I kept gravitating towards the security problem. And I learned a lot because the systems that I built were, you know, they had security flaws. And so by gaining that firsthand experience, I accumulated a, no a lot of knowledge in that domain. And I started uh, actually an opportunity came to, to teach security at a local, um, local institution in, in British Columbia called the uh, British Columbia Institute of Technology or BCIT. And that was in around 2002. Uh, so I, you know, I started just teaching the stuff that I knew. And by 2008, I was just really enjoying that. So I pivoted into a full-time security role at HSBC Global. And uh, they were putting together a, uh, a, a, a security team that focused on the software problem uh, rather than general security teams that the bank already had, which dealt with the infrastructure and policy and other domains. Uh, and it was a great opportunity for me to get involved with that. And we built a global team that focused on application security across their different lines of business and, and delivering consistent services. And so I ended up in that world and never looked back. 
and from there, you know, it's been security full time all day long. That's incredible. I mean, no, uh, no better motivation than getting burned. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the it first was a time around, right? pretty, pretty experience. I wouldn't want to repeat, but it was, I learned a lot from it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Painful lessons are definitely the ones you learn from the most. Oh God. I hate it. I hate them, but I love them at the same time. Daniel or Michael, either or can go. <laughs> yeah, I'll jump in. So my, my start wasn't as exciting. I learned about cybersecurity when I was, uh, a teenager and had been introduced and I thought that's a pretty cool, cool gig, but hadn't gotten into it. And I was working in IT for a finance company, a traditional finance company, and was having a great conversation with our database administrators who were showing me this wonderful database holding all the information about all the clients of this organization and their assets and how easy it was to manipulate the data in this, this uh, database uh, to reflect upon their customers. And I, I kind of brought it to my boss and said, you know, you really need some security in this organization because it, it, not that we don't trust people, but it seems really easy that, you know, your information could be really manipulated and changed. And they kind of nodded their head and said, hey, maybe that's a job you want to do. And the star was born. So I kind of went from that. I've been, you know, gone through many different iterations and different roles and have been in cybersecurity for well over the 20 years, full-time, just like Farshad. And where I didn't have the breach up front, you know, I, like many people have survived kind of the, the have the scars to show for, for many of the attacks and the breaches that, that have happened over that time. But uh, as I mentioned already, no regrets, but an exciting journey nonetheless. Still, I mean, yeah, probably, probably not as intense <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as far as that, but hey, nonetheless, you still battled away. I mean, you survived, you have the scars to prove it. So that, that in and of itself is incredible. Danny, the last one. Sure. So I don't yeah. have uh, I don't have nearly as a, as extensive a background in cybersecurity as uh, either Farshad or Michael. In fact, quite honestly, I know very little about cybersecurity. However, <laughs> I do have an interest in it because, as part of my role, which is advising companies on on selling their businesses or or raising growth equity from uh, private equity firms and growth equity investors, cybersecurity and technical diligence is always an aspect of the process. Uh, and if you don't have a, a decent familiarization around it, then you could run the risk of a failed transaction. That's something nobody wants at all. I mean, that's actually a great way to probably segue into this next question. Uh, Daniel, could you just tell us a little bit more of the due diligence process and I guess the related risks? Sure, absolutely. So there, there's a couple of phases of due diligence in any sort of, and I'll, I'll just use a, a, an M&A process, right? So you're, you're looking, you're, you're a VC or you're a CEO of a technology business, say it's a software business for the purposes of this example, and you're looking to sell the company. Well, there are a few phases to it. You'd hire somebody like me, an investment banker, and I'd, I'd help you. You can almost think of me as a real estate agent and a, and a, and a stager at the same time, right? So right. I, I put your business up for sale. I reach out to the buyers. And I help you stage your home. In the process of staging your home, I'll bring in other experts to, to assist with certain areas of the home. So, you know, the first sort of level of due diligence any buyer is going to do is very high level, right? It's, you know, do, do I like the business? Do I like the financials? Do I like the management team? Does it fit within my strategy? So that's sort of tick the box number one. And once they tick that box, they'll submit a first round bid. You get a bunch of first round bids. You move a, a handful of them to second round bids. They get a deeper dive. They get a deeper look at the business. They spend more time with key personnel. And then ultimately what you're doing is you're driving them towards a second round, which is called an LOI, letter of intent. Once you get to the LOI stage, there's really only 
a handful of things that can that should go wrong between that could go wrong between LOI and closing. And these are confirmatory items. So you can think of this as almost like a house inspection in, in, in the parlance of real estate. Um, so, so what is confirmatory diligence? Well, there's legal diligence, you know, um, mm -hmm. are there any big outstanding lawsuits <laughs> that, uh, that a buyer should be aware of? Um, accounting diligence, right? So, you know, the book's been cooked. Um, <laughs> customer diligence, right? So just getting a feel for your customers. And then the last piece really is uh, last but not least, but it's technology and cybersecurity. Right. So these are the four things that could go wrong in confirmatory diligence post LOI. Right. Um, and so you want to make sure that you've addressed each of these things before you enter um, that sort of process. Right. You want to make sure, <laughs> as baseball terms, you want to make sure all your bases are covered before getting into anything. Right. So that's that's great. What makes a company attractive? I guess I'll open up to to Farshad and Michael. Uh, what makes a company attractive from a securities point of view? You know, both of you guys have tons of security, like experience you guys can definitely see holes <laughs> in in companies that we might not see what makes a company attractive from a security perspective it, you know from a you know i guess if, if you want to position your company so that it's uh, so so that it's uh, attractive to the buyers they're going to be looking for making sure that you're not going to have problems right technical debt you know, they don't want that they don't want they don't want any ticking time bombs so that they buy um you know uh, there was the you know vancouver company to networks that you know that got purchased paypal i believe and you know they bought that they bought the technical debt they bought the vulnerability that they didn't know that's something that the buyers have become really conscious of and they're mm -hmm. paying extra attention to so if you're a seller you want to make sure that you position yourself uh, in in that such a way that you could pr provide the right documentation because the due diligence you know there's often a short period of time where they're going through that exercise with a team so the more prepared you are, the better you'll position yourself for being uh, being sold by having all your security controls documented and everything prepared beforehand that mm -hmm. would facilitate and ease that process. You know, I'd, I'd add to that, you know, to Parshad said, like having all that in advance is what, you know, the buyers really, I think, want to see, right? If, if, you were, if you're a seller and you're fussing and you don't have it readily available, you know, I'm sure that it's an indication that you probably haven't really looked at where security is in the organization are really not prepared and you know as daniel said I, I can imagine there are a lot of buyers that are that are weary of an organization and we've seen some really big cases you know i, I always use the example of poor marriott hotels when they acquired svg and uh you know didn't realize that there was a huge breach behind the scenes and when the, the uh, deal closed only then was it disclosed that there was a big security breach that Marriott then kind of took ownership of so being prepared definitely a bonus right you want to yeah you definitely want to eat technical debt that, that you don't want to eat right the yeah it's definitely and, and, and these days, you know, a lot of the clients we work with, particularly some of the startups, they are, they're putting a lot of emphasis on that, right? We work with them particularly to build security from the beginning because they know that they're building the startup to sell it, right? Like, of course, I'm building this fintech and my goal is to do that. So by engaging security right from the beginning, we lay out the right foundations, both mm -hmm. through governance policy, as well as uh, what's required in terms of the foundations in the application. And then when it comes time to promote that, it's easy. They've got everything documented. They can show that to the particular uh, buyers and it'll make it makes quite a big, bit of a difference. Yeah. And it makes sure and it makes the runway a lot easier because like, you know, typically and start, especially in the fintech space, especially the tech space that we're in, uh, the technology that you kind of walk in with is not the technology that you leave with <laughs> at the door, right? When you sell it, it's it, there's a lot of iterations, a lot of adaptations, uh, especially for moving into cloud computing and AI, you need, you need a lot of data, you need a lot of documentation and having documentation from the start makes your job so much easier in the end, right?
for both of you guys, what will be the main security concerns and what are some top concerns from, I guess, perspectives from customers and clients? Michael, do you want to tackle this one first or should I go? <laughs> no, you go ahead first. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the main concern these days, uh, you know, it's been the, th the supply chain and third parties, right? Like basically vulnerabilities that you inherit through that, right? That would be one of the biggest concerns. And for that, I would recommend that they have some sort of a vulnerability management program or are aware of what they're inheriting by using third parties, right? That can come in two shapes and forms. A lot of applications these days either include components that are built by another party or they ingest data that's coming from a third party. Both can be attack vectors. So organizations that should careful attention in terms of where that stuff is coming from, have they assessed that third party that they're working with? Has that third party assessed their own security? And what are the risks from that type of uh, engagement? Yeah, I would add to that, you know, we're seeing so many attacks now that are, you know, not the traditional attacks we used to see through the, through the front door, right? So much now. You know, along with the third party and and that vendor risk is, is, is on the email front. And I, I don't think we go through a day now without hearing about another ransomware attack and another case of this. You know, last week it was the pipelines. I think this week we're hearing more stories in uh, in various spaces. And, you know, it's all about, you know, grabbing something of value. And, you know, one of the sayings now is, you know, the hackers aren't breaking in, they're logging in. And that's how they're really kind of attacking organizations now and stealing. And, you know, that is the big threat for a lot of the customers and the clients that, that I'm seeing, and I think Farshad as well, where they're really, you know, not realizing where their gaps are and they're really not prepared in terms of, of what to expect when, when, when these threat actors come upon them. You want to be protective of the information that you currently have. You want to make sure that since everything is getting shared, right? We're moving into the age of digital identity where, you know, sooner or later, all your information is going to be on your phone, right? We want to be able to protect that, especially being the companies behind <laughs> building this kind of technology, right? If we want, if we want people to kind of move in to more digital, to have more of a digital identity, if we can't protect that identity, then what the heck are we doing here, right? Oh, for sure, right? And I think a lot of organizations just don't think it's them. They don't think it's going to fall on them. They don't think that they're big enough or savvy enough or, uh, interesting enough and you know that's not the case eh? the attackers are going after everybody and you know a lot of times they're not picky other times they are picky and yeah. you know finance and fintech is something that's very alluring no it makes it makes total sense right i mean uh, the internet doesn't discriminate <laughs> they don't they don't care <laughs> right it's like hey, no exchanges exactly exactly they don't care right they don't they'll They'll come at you. It doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever you have, I'll take it. <laughs> right. So it doesn't, it's, it's, it's a very scary world out there, but you know, thankfully we're building up the security systems to protect everyone. No, no problem. No problem. Maybe, maybe I'll, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll start with what, what a buyer is looking for. Sure, perfect. And then that might help sort of shape uh, how a seller can prep. Perfect. Let's do that. So, you know, what, what's a buyer looking for in technology? due diligence. Well, effectively, they're looking to solve for sustainability and scalability. And how do they do that? It comes down to three things. Um, and that's people, process, and technology. Um, so from a people perspective, the, the question they're going to be asking themselves is, um, how distributed is, is the knowledge, right? Is it all coming from, you know, a rock star developer? Mm -hmm. because, if, because if it is, that tech just may, the development just may not be sustainable. Right. Right. So uh, not distributed process. What's the development methodology? You know, w will it scale? Right. Again, trying to solve for sustainability and scalability. 
-hmm. and then technology uh, and then sort of in, within that technology category you know, things that a buyer is going to double click on are uh, are items like open source right do you do you do you have open source what open source code do you have are there security issues related to it and you know are you potentially improperly using some of these open source licenses and then the last bit in uh, in technology would be what what is the tech stack right and, and what is the tech stack you're using and why did you make those decisions and so th these are things that you want to be able to have prepped ahead of a process like this. Mm -hmm. um, because the last thing you want to do is, is just provide poor quality answers that just sort of takes everybody down a rabbit hole and, and, and doesn't get you to the result that you want. Yeah. Maybe I'll just pause and see if Farshad and, and Michael have anything to add. Um, nothing to add from there. That echoes pretty much the, 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 the same sentiment that I mentioned earlier. But yeah, I, I agree with that. Totally. So, so that's from the buyer's perspective. So, you know, if, if that's what the buyer is looking for as a seller, you know, how, how should you think about preparing ahead of a process? If you've got six months, you know, you think you're going to be in a process in you know, the next six to 12 months, the first thing you really need to do is document everything. That's a, a mistake that I see with a lot of uh, companies, no matter how mature they are, improper documentation, you know, always Make sure you've got some sort of solutions document or topology document and make sure you've got an open source library because all these things help you tell your story more effectively so that you're not put on the defensive as, as, as you go through the technical diligence process. Related right. to that in terms of telling your story is you're going to want to find somebody on your team who can tell the technology story in a fairly compelling way, right? You want a, a person who can address sort of the feature function architecture, and then maybe have a really technical engineer sort of supplement that as, as questions arise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to want to know where your issues are before you even asked about it. Right. So having somebody like Farshad do a, do an independent review ahead of time, it, it, it could be, I mean, Farshad, I'm not sure what your rates are, but you know, we're, we're talking in the thousands here, I'm sure which could save you millions in transaction value. Exactly. Right? I was just like going to say, peanuts, <laughs> it's peanuts compared to the millions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you've got millions on the line here. So, you know, ha have somebody take a look at your code and, and your development methodology. And, you know, it's, it's similar to the way that we would have third-party accounts conduct the quality of earnings before we take a company out to market. And then to the extent that a third party finds some issues, you know, either fix them. And if you don't have enough time to fix them, at least, at least show progress or, or have a plan on how you're going to you know, fix things like shady, shoddy code quality or, or technical debt. You want to make sure you have, again, you want to make sure all bases are covered, make sure, make sure that there's a plan to make sure these things are going to get fixed. The worst thing you want to have is I did not know that was an issue. Exactly. Wanna... <laughs> oh, I didn't surprise. I didn't see that. Oh, that hole in the wall, that, oh, you noticed that. You didn't notice the hole in the wall? Not at all. Do you have a plan for that? I mean, I even noticed there's a hole in the wall. So I think we, 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 we were talking about real estate, I think, earlier in the conversation, right? Like, yeah. I remember when, like, last house my parents sold, right? You, you, you get the inspector, but the people buying get their own inspector because you don't want that gas tank to be in the backyard that you inherited because you bought that place, right? Of course. So that, that could also mess up the deal. As a seller, you got to make sure that you know about that gas tank because if they put a condition and the buyer comes and gets the inspector and then they find it, your deal's out. You've wasted everybody's time and yeah. all that type of stuff. So make sure you, you, know, you know it. And what's happening is I've noticed that 
the buyers are, you know, in the past, they may not have focused on security as much. They might have been like, here, let's just do a quick scan of your application and then call it a day. Now they're actually bringing us an expert team like us. They're asking us to dig really deep so that, that because that's changed, that the seller should expect that. If the seller is thinking that, you know, it's like the old days where they're just going to get a scan and buyer's going to go proceed, that's not what's happening. Um, they're, they're going under a lot more scrutiny. So the, any more, any preparation, it, it would be uh, quite valuable in that direction. Having a security check, making sure like, hey, you know, is the data that we currently have, is it breachable? Is there any, is there any holes into, that's probably the first thing people think of, like when ramping up to sell a company or ramping up to buy a company. But now I'm glad that people are now having this kind of a conversation, having you guys on board, making sure that people are doing the due diligence uh, to make sure that like, hey, uh, that they know there's a hole in the wall and have a plan <laughs> to fix that hole, right? Exactly. Michael, did you want to add anything to that? No, I I, I like all the house analogies, but I'm going to switch it to a car analogy. Perfect. Let's go. Love cars too. You know, buying the used car, right? Buyer beware. And, you know, that mechanic needs to really check it out, right? And so you're doing, you know, the, the mechanics or, you know, looking at the technology piece, but you're also having to do the governance piece, right? In terms of, you know, making sure there are no liens on the car and making sure that there's no outstanding debts and, you know, how many accidents has the car been in? Right. There's always the other side of it, too. And I think the same goes with with deals, too. Right. It, it's mm-hmm. looking at the tech stack, but it's also looking at the other aspects of what the company's doing in, in cyber, too. Right. Because right. they could have a great tech stack, but have really poor controls around users logging into their network or remote access. That's just opening themselves up for a backdoor entry. You know, when there's a, when, you know, the company is pretty stoked that they've covered off you know, the application, but they kind of left the back door open at the same time. I don't want to get caught with your pants, <laughs> with your pants down on that one. That's not a, not a fun feeling. Uh, so I guess sticking with the same thing that we currently have, uh, what are some things that make it break an investment? And I guess how important is security ensuring high quality investment? I, I would say it's, 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 it's more and more critical, right? To uh, Farshad's point earlier with the TO and, and PayPal example, right? If, if PayPal... If that deal had been done today, PayPal would have found that vulnerability and that deal would have been dead, right? Yep. Increasingly, um, you know, it comes to things like um, penetration tests, right? Making sure there hasn't been a data breach or even you know, on the privacy side, making sure compliance with GPTR. You know, there are some things that can be fixed post-close and then there are some things that are just total deal breakers. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to make sure that if there are any deal breakers, you, you know them ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, identifying those high risk issues not only comes with a proper, uh, with a proper assessment, and and again going back to what I said earlier, doing a basic scan of your system is not going to give you that. It's it's where you actually go and do a risk assessment and dig deep deep into it, determine, you know, is this high risk? Is this low risk? If you've done that as a seller, then you you're, you're going to be looking really good because you can go to the buyer and say, hey, I've done this risk assessment here. There's only a bunch of low risks. And, you know, those are things that you can fix, right? They're not major, you know, high risk items that are going to break, uh, break the system. And I emphasize risk as Michael can, can back me up. Like the risk is quite different than just saying, you know, you have a dozen of problems, right? Like in order to determine risk, you actually have to assess what the business impact is and how likely something is to become true. And that's way more valuable than the traditional way that people assess, uh, assess the system, which is purely based on uh, security gaps that, or, or vulnerabilities, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's more than just a paper exercise or, a, you know, a, a checklist, right? And I think that's where, you know, that, that, that good quality investment will understand that and understand the interpretation, as Farshad said, of what risk really is, how to define it, and what is unique about that organization. 
that, you know, can elevate or decrease that risk. And, you know, that's where part of it is, you know, having, you know, the third party and the experts helping to determine that and lay that story out, either from the buyer's perspective or the seller's perspective, because, you know, understanding that I think is key to, you know, really maximizing um, and, you know, getting the best value in, in an investment and making sure that there are no pitfalls along the way. Yeah, you want to you want to make sure that there is no security breach, so you don't have to go trial by fire, uh, as how Farshad has launched his career. <laughs> you want to yeah, you want to you want to avoid those painful growths as much as you can, right? Exactly, exactly. Sticking with security breaches, why should companies be especially cautious of security breaches? Right? I mean, we we touched up a little bit of risk. Companies that are trying to ramp up for acquisition, or just companies in general, why? Should they be extremely cautious of security breaches? The, the one thing, you know, when we talk to clients, uh, particularly the startups, uh, their reputations, their reputations, everything, right? For a large company, let's take Equifax, right? You know, they all, everyone's data got breached. Everyone found out about it. Did much happen to them? Not a lot, right? They're so big that, you know, it, it, they, they're almost untouchable. When you're now talking about a small startup who's just starting in this industry, their name, their reputation is everything. So if you get a breach and you're, you're that, that small, you're not even going to make it past that. So, so the rep, because typically, you know, a, a, security, a security compromise or breach uh, can impact the, the confidentiality of the data, integrity, or availability, right? And depending on, you know, what the breach ends up doing, if it's, you know, data is exposed and, and they, they don't have reputational impact, but further to that, you might, if you're also in the finance sector, you might have regulatory, it might be regulatory re- repercussions, right? So both of those things need to be considered and, and all of those will be way higher uh, will have a way higher impact for uh, for smaller organizations and, and that are new. Yeah, I've got I've got startup clients and, and they understand, you know, despite the fact of, of the product that they have or the service, that if they have a security breach, they know they're done. And you know, it, it doesn't matter the fact that they have a, a rock star product to deliver. Their their age and the maturity of the organization just means that the buyers will not want to touch that. They will not want a piece of that because there's there's too much at stake. And, you know, we, we talk about security breaches, but, you know, as a seller, I think they also have to be understanding of the security breaches that are happening around them while they're in this, this um, phase of, of talking to the buyers because it, the buyers now, and Daniel can, you know, jump in here, they're getting savvier and savvier and really will hone in on what's happening out in the world and if there's a breach and it's, it's happened because of a certain vulnerability and it happened the week before, I bet you they're going to be asking this client if it's that bad, if that breach pertains to them and if it does what they've done about it and how they're prepared for it. And, you know, these organizations, these sellers need to be ready. They need to have those stories and be able to, to, to ensure confidently that, you know, these, these type of breaches aren't impacting them or they're very confident that they have it under control. 100%. A couple of years back, when we did technical diligence, buyer would hire one group and they'd really just focus on code reviews, right? And open source. Now, increasingly, they're hiring that group, but then they're also layering on cyber specialists yeah. who may or may not be the same firm as the, technical, as, as the one conducting the technical assessment. Um, and I mean, I, from a buyer's perspective, what you're, one of the things you're trying to solve for is post-deal litigation, right? Like if you're healthcare-related or financial-related business, the last thing the buyers want to do is to inherit these sorts of liabilities going forward. 
because it's it's not it's not a fun thing to eat <laughs> definitely not a fun cost to eat <laughs> yeah. by any means uh, okay so i guess looking looking forward looking ahead of all this risk uh, and everything i guess what would be your next steps that you'd recommend companies who are building modern applications into the cloud right we hear about the cloud how wonderful it is cloud banking everything uh, what are some of your guys's advice when it comes to companies that are building towards the cloud uh, there are some basics that they can they, they pay attention to. Uh, there are frameworks for you know building secure applications and building secure cloud infrastructure. I'd say a good place to look at is the Cloud Security Alliance (CSA). They have the cloud controls matrix. Um, it's a you know there's quite a few controls in that, and they don't need to implement everything. But what they do need to remember is that when you put something in the cloud, cloud you know the security of cloud is a shared responsibility. Um, you know I use the analogy of Lego building blocks. A company like Amazon or, or, or Microsoft or Azure, they give you secure building blocks. But how you assemble those building blocks to build your house, Lego house or whatever it is that you're building, that's up to you. So if you don't stack those building blocks in a secure manner, you'll have a pretty shaky ground. So that's why it's a shared responsibilities where the cloud provider gives you a secure building block. You're going to be putting those to create a solution. It's your responsibility to do that in a secure manner. And the framework like the Cloud Security Alliance will tell you a number of, a number of things that you can do to achieve that. In addition, there are applica secure application, uh, application security frameworks uh, such as OWASP's uh, application security verification standard. So just paying attention to those types of things or at least looking at the top 10 you know, commonly occurring vulnerabilities that are reported by OWASP I mean, and, and making sure that your application at least addresses them would be uh, quite important. Yeah, I'd say in the, I totally agree. And, and you know, so I'm going to keep on the, the banter of analogies and I'm going to go to that famous Scandinavian furniture maker and you buy some one of these kits and you want to put it together and uh, you think you can do it without the instructions and you really don't need to take full control from the start. And sure, you can put together that bed frame and maybe it feels solid. But did you really build it properly? Because you really have six pieces left over at the end of all this. Really, security has got to be a part of this all right from the beginning, right? And as Parshat said, right? Following one of these frameworks and really understanding it and building security into design is going to make a better cloud-based app. And, you know, trying not to cut corners and really ensuring that you're, you're putting in the security, you're baking it in as you're, as you're building the application into the cloud and, you know, following the right rules and, you know, making sure that you're doing it right will make, could make, could and should make all the difference in the end in terms of, you know, really having something that is going to be more secure versus something you think is secure, you hope that's secure. And, you know, you definitely keep your fingers crossed every night. It's a great analogy. Right? You want to make sure that it is secure and that it is sound from day one. Because you definitely, because the worst thing you want to have in the world is that, you know, it's day 34 of the bed and you hear a creak. It's like, okay, well, and then that's it. And then it's like. <laughs> Well, okay, I could have, I could have just done it right the first time, and I never would have I never would have been in this mess. I have to buy a brand new bed frame again, right? So, if there's like one or two takeaways that you want everybody to kind of go home with, or that you want that you guys want to drive home, uh, what would it be? Say, put the effort into documentation, right? Yes. Make sure you're, you know, before heading into a process, make sure you've got all your bases covered, so to speak, and, you know, spend the money on a, on a, on a third party assessment because. You know, the, the, the thousands of dollars you're spending now could save you millions and millions of dollars in transaction value. 
Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. What you don't know. And, and I, what I'd like to add is documenting it. And that goes with uh, the saying is what you don't know, you don't know, right? So make sure that you do know the posture of your system as a as a as an executive or someone who's responsible for for that software. Ultimately, you should know what that looks like. Don't just trust that, you know, this has been built security. It's more common than not that developers make mistakes. Um, you know, that's why things like the OWASP top 10 exist because the same 10 security issues keep happening over and over again. I've been looking at OWASP top 10 for over a decade and developers make the same mistakes. And even some of the basic security challenges that have been around for decades, they keep getting repeated. So um, not having anything is, 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 is the unknown, right? So you wanna make sure that you have some knowledge of the posture of your, your system, uh, but also that you don't get that false sense of security. So I've had organizations that came to me and said, hey, I got this company to do a test. You know, They did a pen test and you know, everything is great, right? And I'm like, well, let me see. Because not, when someone says pen test, they don't all mean the same thing. You know, my definition of pen test is different than someone else's definition of pen test. So then in that particular example, when I did look at the result, it was actually not a pen test. It was a scan. And that scan had shown a few issues that was scaring the customer, but not showing the real problem. So I looked at the results and I said, hey, look, the issues that you're you know, jumping up and down about, these aren't actually issues. These are false positives and stuff you don't have to worry about. But what the scan hasn't told you is all the real problems that you have. And I was able to do that by just quickly looking at the system. So that false sense of security or thinking you know, but you don't, or even worse yet, not knowing at all is not a position you want to be in. Yeah, I say the same thing, you know, and, you know, spend the money and spend it wisely and, you know, kind of spend it in the right ways. Don't cut corners and, you know, really look to get, you know, a good person to support you, a good organization that really knows what they're doing and, you know, spend money to make money and, you know, be prepared and, and, you know, where you don't think that it's a good return on investment. We can always tell you it will be in the end. It really will be, you know, the right way to spend money to, to avoid spend money now to avoid spending a lot more money later. Will be the best way to reach uh, any of you guys if any of our audience members have any questions. LinkedIn would be the best for me. I mean, I've got a TikTok account, but I don't, I don't have a lot of content up. So LinkedIn would be the best for me. Yeah, link, LinkedIn or, uh, or Twitter. Absolutely. Yeah, Twitter is a great place to connect as well for me. Yeah, me too. LinkedIn and Twitter. We're both there. <laughs> you guys, you guys, it's funny, you guys, it's funny because, you know, when you get into this world of security, oftentimes, you know, security folk, I'm, I'm on like pretty much every social media because as a technologist, whenever they launch a platform, I save my spot, I get my account, right? Like you got to do that. Absolutely. But do I actually use them and, and are they all effective, right? I mean, you know, when it comes to security, you're not going to have any interesting conversations with folks on Facebook or Snapchat. Those are just not the right platforms. The security conversations usually happen on LinkedIn or, or Twitter, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you got some pretty interesting conversations on TikTok. I don't know. I mean, me, yeah. me, me, me and Daniel. Depending <laughs> on who's talking. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Daniel, I, I get all my investment advice. Hey, hey, that's, that's, yeah, exactly. That's how I learned about wholesaling houses. So, you know what? It's <laughs> awesome. So, Guys, thank you so much for jumping on the show again. And as well, for everybody out there, uh, next Friday, if you guys want to hear more about what we're currently talking about, we're having a technology due diligence fireside chat with 
all three amazing guests. Uh, if you guys have any more questions, you can definitely follow up with these guys. Uh, you can reach Daniel and me on TikTok, but Michael and Farge reach them on Twitter or LinkedIn. But uh, yeah, you can feel free. You can uh, you can reach out to them if you have any questions or anything. Again, uh, guys, I'm excited to see you guys at the Fireside Chat. Thank you so much for jumping on the show and uh, making this bucket list episode uh, <laughs> a dream come true for both me and Daniel. And best of luck to all the, uh, the audience listening uh, who are preparing their companies to be sold. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org. Oh, yeah.